Please be seated. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It really wasn't quite what I had expected would happen when I made a telephone down to the alumni office here in St. Louis sometime last fall. And the reason for my telephoning was to lobby on behalf of the members of our class who had matriculated at this school in 1956, but because of circumstances beyond their control, they really didn't graduate with the majority of the students in our class in 1961, but instead be became this unique and special class of 1962. And uh, in the course of then that conversation with uh, uh, Dr. Hayner and uh, the secretary, who were very kind, very gracious, very accommodating, I got zapped for being asked to preach at this service. Now, very frankly, I would have been quite content simply to be a regular member of the congregation, the worshiping congregation, and probably even sing in the choir like I did uh, five years ago. But it was what it is, and it is what it was. So I said, okay, I think I can uh, handle that. But uh, I am grateful that uh, they were so kind and gracious and accommodating uh, with uh, that request and really did uh, open the doors and be sure to be really inclusive with the invitations that were extended so that uh, these people who, by the way, were not slow learners, uh, so that they could really be included with a proper invitation and attend uh, this particular uh, reunion with the students that they had really spent together uh, uh, with for five years. And uh, so I'm really glad and happy about that, and including the, the spouses and an awareness, an increasing awareness of welcoming and inviting widows of uh, pastors and in those classes that would have graduated in the uh, five-year uh, cycle. So any people here, and there are a number from uh, Theoretically, the class of 62, but really should be included with the class of 61. They are here indeed as legitimate, properly credentialed uh, participants at this reunion. They are not here without a proper wedding garment. So uh, we welcome them warmly and uh, we are glad that, that they are all here. But uh, it became then a very uh, in inclusive uh, uh, invitation and uh, there were reasons for this unique situation. And uh, it was because of programs, twofold, acceleration, deceleration. And they were filling what would have been really a big gap and major problems. They helped to avert a crisis for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because uh, unless some countermeasures had been taken, there would have been no vicars appearing on the scene in 1962. And there would have been no new candidates to be called into the holy ministry in 1962. And so uh, I did the math. And uh, on the uh, service folder, you know, you have some uh, pages, and I'll give you some summary numbers, what that really meant. And in the class of 1961 that actually graduated in 1961, there were a total number of 159 graduates. That's a big number. I think that's uh, 
that's really one of the largest classes ever to have graduated in a particular year. And then if you include the 28 who graduated first a year later in 1962, but were actually a part of that class, that's another 28, that was a total of 187. Those were great days for this uh, school, for this uh, seminary. And the number of people who were being uh, pushed through the, the system and in a day and age when the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was really poised on, on the edge of greatness and uh, new mission expansion and especially mission work overseas being expanded big time. Uh, these were, were great days on this campus and it was before a lot of married students so the community and we really filled all the dormitories and all the classrooms on these uh, in, on this campus, and uh, they, were, they were great days. I have uh, very fond memories of all of that. In 1962, there were actually 78 graduates, that's all, 78 graduates. And out of those 78, 28 had really matriculated, matriculated in 1956. So there were really only 50 new students that had been accelerated in order to help fill that, fill that gap. And so uh, it, it's great to, to be here, and um, I am humbled and honored to, to share a word from the Lord on this uh, special occasion, and it's a good reason for Jubilee. And actually, Jubilee means you should be able to rest for a whole year when you hit your 50th year, and you shouldn't be asked to preach. Uh, <laughs> especially if you happen to be a member of a 50th anniversary graduating class. But it, it, it is what it is, it was what it was, and it will be what it, what it will be. But uh, so uh, it's a good time, and uh, it's a happy coincidence on this particular uh, day in the Christian church year, a happy coincidence that uh, on this Sunday in the church, or this day in the church year between Ascension and Pentecost, in the uh, active of the seventh Sunday of, of Easter, to think about the text for my uh, meditation this afternoon, the words of the Holy Gospel for the seventh Sunday of Easter, read just a moment ago, uh, those first 11 verses from John's uh, high priestly prayer of, of Jesus and an appropriate text for our consideration. And as we eavesdrop, as we eavesdrop on a portion of this high priestly prayer of Jesus and the topic theme, uh, to know Jesus Christ, comma, and to make his name known, the emphasis on his name, to make his name known. And in one simple sentence, what a great privilege it is both to know Jesus Christ and to make his name known to the world. To make his name known to the world. The text and the context, this is life eternal. To know you, the Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, those uh, words of, of Jesus, and addressed to God the Father, and addressing a really important dimension of John's theology, the intimate relationship 
between Jesus and the Father and the mission on which Jesus was sent to make God's name known. And when we reflect on the fact that these words were really spoken on Monday, Thursday, Thursday of Holy Week, before the events of, of Good Friday and finally Easter Sunday, some uh, uh, parting words of Jesus to his disciples, but told to them before the events of the rest of, of Holy Week. And these were words of instruction for what was going to take place in the coming 45 days, leading to the ascension of Jesus, celebrated or not, celebrated uh, in Germany at least, as even as a national holiday, uh, Ascension Day, when uh, Jesus gave his final parting instructions for his disciples, instructions that apply for his church down through the, the ages. And in all of those chapters, chapters 14 to, to 17, Jesus talks about his glory and, and what that means. The, the hour has come, said Jesus. The hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. So that this eternal life, John's favorite word for salvation, and the word salvation, which does not appear in John's gospel, but eternal life is his term of preference. And so, uh, you know, it's really unique and special. And how Jesus, in that hour of his glory, which was the time when he was lifted up on the cross, and when he was lifted up from the grave on Easter Sunday, and when he was lifted up to the heavens on Ascension Day, all in keeping with the Father's purpose of his grace and of his mercy. When you look at this chapter 17, and if you do the math and you count up the number of times that the word Father appears in both the English and in the Greek, six times, six times that Jesus addresses God as Father. Now, in the Korean translation, I'm going to teach you a Korean word. The Korean word for Father is Abaji. You know how many times the, the word father appears in the Korean translation because it's a problem of pronouns. In these verses, uh, 1 to 11 alone, there are three occurrences in English and in the Greek. But in the Korean, there are 21 occurrences of the word father because that's the only way that in Korean language that can really be translated in a way that flows comfortably. It's a problem of pronouns. And then when you look at all the verses, 1 through 26 in uh, chapter 17 of John's Gospel, the word father, pater, occurs a total of six times, both in the English and in the uh, Greek uh, basic text. But in the Korean, 38 times, 38 times that we read the word Father. Now, that should really kind of emphasize the importance and the uh, crucial nature of this intimate relationship of Jesus with the Father. And Jesus sent out on his mission. 
Now, listen, I'm going to read to you uh, verse 3 in the uh, uh, Korean language, excuse me, verse 5. Verse 5 in the English says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. Now, listen to the Korean translation of verse 5 and listen for Abuji. Abuji, your 창세 전에 내가 아버지에 함께 가졌던 영화로서 지금도 아버지와 함께 나를 영화롭게 하옵소서. And that's the only way that the Korean language could really make sense out of that. And it's a good thing because it helps us to recognize the importance of those pronouns that are so kind of vapid and, and uh, not particularly impressive or, or powerful when you uh, read that in the other uh, language. But all of this, in terms of the relationship of Jesus with the Father, according to his divine plan, and this was the divine plan that Jesus finished, and he uses an important word for that. He accomplished the work that the Father had given him to do. And the final outcome, to give eternal life, to give eternal life. And this was eternal life that was for real. And especially in Johannine theology, it's an eternal life that is already a present possession for all those who believe. And it has a lasting significance. It has a lasting meaning and power. Now, for us and for others, for the church and for the world, that's the final outcome that we and the church and our Heavenly Father and Jesus are looking for. And in our case, we know Jesus Christ and we know the Father. We have a profoundly significant and deep relationship with him. We are children of God who loves us with a heavenly father that's a part of our identity we have been called by the holy spirit through the gospel baptized as children of god through water and the word we know and believe and that other key verse in verse 8 of this text where jesus says for the words that you gave to me speaking to the father I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, to make his name known is the other part of this, this, uh, this issue. Not only to know Jesus Christ, but also to make his name and the Father's name known to the church, for the church, and to the church, to the world, and for the, the world. That's really what uh, it's all about. I didn't really intend to uh, share this, but after listening to how seminary students can really be under considerable stress in, in terms of uh, the, their debt load after they come here to study and and uh, commit their lives and, and take these major steps, I came across in uh, the uh, copy of the Christian Century that I received just the other day. 
And it's in the section of century marks in, in this quote entitled Training School. Imagine an institution that requires its leaders to attend not only college, but graduate school. Imagine that the graduate school in question is constitutionally forbidden from receiving any form of government aid. That it typically requires three years of full-time schooling for the diploma. That the nature of the schooling bears almost no resemblance to the job in question, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and that the pay for the graduates is far lower than other professions. Yeah, I know about that. You have just imagined the relationship between the Christian church and her seminaries, said Jerry Bauer at Forbes.com blog on the 20th of, of April. But Jesus said, but let it, not so, let it not be so among you. I trust and I am confident that that's not the, the case. That's not the, the predicament for Concordia Seminary and the students who come to study here because we have a deeper understanding of what's really all involved. Because the special calling and the special call that all of us have received as pastors and church workers and accompanied by spouses, it's a far more profound challenge than that very negative and cynical comment would lead people to think. But they are out there, people who think along those lines. I have good memories from my days in these hallowed halls and the uh, training that, that I received and felt that was really worthwhile. And when I think about and on an occasion like this, as a jubilarian service and alumni reunions, about the career paths of people who graduated from, from this school and the ministries in which they have been involved over the years, in which they have uh, been carrying out really meaningful uh, ministries of, of word and, and sacrament, I'm, I just marvel at, at how God's grace works and how we too are engaged in not only knowing Jesus Christ, but in making his name known to an otherwise lost and dying world. I do want to just review a little bit some of the numbers of the graduates and the unique calls by my unofficial count, but I did do some of the math. For example, uh, and I use our class, the class that I know the best, 1961 plus those uh, slow learners from uh, 19, <laughs> 1962 to illustrate the great variety of ministries to which my classmates were called. And I am proud and, and glad to be associated with them as their classmate. So in uh, among those graduates in 1961, there were um, uh, expatriate missionaries, in, including those, there were three who became, who received calls as expatriate missionaries in 1962. Altogether, 17 out of the people who matriculated in 1956, there were 17 
people who were called to overseas ministries. I was one of those, and I spent 42 and a half years plus seven in the meantime, kind of going back and forth in, in Korea. But they were on all different continents. And if uh, among the other special and unique ministries to which these people were called, military chaplains, and uh, including the reserve components, there were 13. And among those 13, there were eight who went on to be, went, go on extended, extended active duty and, and made a career of remarkably distinguished service as military chaplains in uh, uh, their aspect, in their involvement of word and sacrament ministry. One of those is, to the best of my knowledge, the only Lutheran chaplain who died in Vietnam. His name is Roger Hines. And you can find his name inscribed on the black marble wall on the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. And he was a good friend of ours in uh, the class of 1961 and also in the class of 1956 from Concordia, Milwaukee. But all the graduates from all the years that you know who have served faithfully and well in congregations and special ministries, this is a time to thank and praise God for them and for their spouses and for all those church workers and the ministries in which they were in engaged. I could go and tell you, uh, and I make the disclaimer, you know, I know best the class of 1961 and other graduating classes who are represented here can have plenty of their own examples that they can give about unique ministries in which they were involved. But for those of you who don't know that much about the class of 61, let me just mention a few examples that touch bases beyond our own class. Arden Mead of blessed memory, who was one of the founding persons involved with creative communications for the parish something which a lot of pastors have used, and some of them maybe even a bit illegally, <laughs> and, and not paying their fair share for the right to, to use this material. But, but uh, uh, he, he was a, a creative guy, and uh, he, uh, he earned a, a demon degree. But then paradoxically, he was also given an honorary doctorate from guess what? A Methodist church institution, a Methodist church agency. I don't know of how many other Lutheran Church Missouri Synod people can uh, say that. And then tall Paul Eggled. Uh, he brought hospital chaplaincy ministry to new heights where no hospital chaplain ministry has ever gone before at St. Luke's Lutheran Hospital, at St. Luke's Hospital, Roman Catholic Hospital in Milwaukee. He devised the most efficient administrative and organizational system because I visited there one day and uh, I went to the chaplain's office and there was a little three by five file card pasted on the window of, of the door and it said, if nobody is here at, at this chaplain's office, then go over to the social welfare office around the corner 
and I followed that instruction. I walked over there, and on their door was a little three-by-five card that, that said, if nobody is here at this social welfare office, then go to the chaplain's office. I went back and forth two times, but then I stopped. But I think that there are still people who are bouncing back and forth like ping-pong balls because they don't understand English all that well. But uh, remarkable hospital chaplain ministry, wow. Dick Gable of blessed memory. I was watching television one morning in Korea in uh, early 1980 in Seoul, Korea, and I turned the television on and then actually this was the Today Show really from yesterday because Korea is 15 hours ahead of the United States. And whom should I see on the television but Richard Gable of blessed memory. And he was being interviewed by Jane Pauley. Back in the days when Jane Pauley and Brian Gumbel were the Today Show team. And he was being interviewed on this national network about his food shelf and uh, pantry ministry that he had started at a Lutheran church in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dick Gable died about a, a year and a half ago. And uh, th there were wonderful uh, editorials written about him in the St. Paul Pioneer Press and in the Minneapolis Star Tribune because of that innovative, creative ministry to the total person that, that he developed. Then just finally, real quickly, I have one of the most memorable experiences that I had in Tokyo, Japan. And in this class of 1961, uh, one of those was actually one of the slow learners who graduated in 1962, Wally Turner. But uh, we happened to have a meeting and uh, it, it was the time that the Far East Lutheran chaplains were getting together. This was during uh, the Vietnam War time, April 1970. And at the Sano Hotel in Tokyo, Japan, met nine members of the class of 1961. And they came from many different places around the world. Uh, Dennis Hilgendorf of blessed memory, a missionary for a long time in Beirut, Lebanon. He was there because of an international Christian broadcasters meeting that was taking place. Arden Albrecht from Taiwan, a missionary in Taiwan and later on working with Lutheran television as an understudy to uh, the sainted Herman Gokko. Uh, Dick Boyer, a U.S. Navy and, and Marine chaplain serving in Vietnam at the time. Otto Reinbacher, a chaplain with the United States Army. Wally Turner, a United States Marine Navy chaplain serving in Vietnam. Uh, Clifford Horn of blessed memory serving as a missionary in Japan. Jim Weezy uh, serving as a missionary in Japan. Tom Zander serving as a missionary in, in Japan and myself as a missionary from Korea, and I was there not only as a, one of the mass communications meeting participants, but also because I did spend 33 years as a U.S. Army Reserve chaplain. It was an extraordinary experience, and I'm pleased and proud to be associated with these classmates of mine and to count them as friends. 
Persons such as these who have devoted their professional careers to make Christ's name known. And that's really what it is all about and why we can celebrate in special ways God's grace through which we have come to know his name and we can also celebrate God's continuing grace as we commit ourselves anew to making his name, to make his name known for the sake of the church and for the sake of the world. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.